Today's episode, we are talking the slap. Yes, not the Christos book. You know exactly what we're going to be discussing. The untimely death of Taylor Hawkins, rest in peace, and how that has affected us and sort of similar things throughout history. And then a very special first ever acting guest, Jason Arrow, star of Hamilton, taking us through his life and times. That's right. Welcome with me, Mikey Carl, uh, So Sophia Moli. Hi, Sos. What up? And Arrow, comma, Jason. Jason Arrow, Perth raised, uh, currently in Hamilton. How's it going, my friend? Good. Early morning for me, but, <laughs> but good otherwise. We appreciate. No, no. Thanks for having me. I, there's nothing I'd rather do than get up and talk about music, actually. It's one of the passions of my life. So thanks for having me. It means a lot. Absolute pleasure. Lots of good sort of musical segues slash just very kind of like looking at things, I guess, fourth dimensionally to uh, paraphrase Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future 2 and 3. Today, we are discussing the slap. Yes, I know it happened a week ago now, but I'm still kind of getting, like in the words of Chris Rock, processing it as well. Because <laughs> initially when the slap happened, when Will Smith decided to get up and slap Chris Rock regarding comments about J.D. Pinkett Smith's hair. It was, it was a joke, bro. Get over it. It was so full on. And I actually called Sos. The first thing I did is I called Sos for your modeling just because I was just going, what, what, what just happened? Of course, your phone was blowing up, Sos. And I've got a great connection with, with Will Smith in that I, when I won Double Dare, the, uh, the kids' game show, I was given oh the record God. and in this corner, which is like a fight boxing thing record by Fresh Prince, DJ Jesse Jeff of the Fresh Prince. Um, lead single is called I Think It Can Beat Mike Tyson. There's definitely an analogy here that's been drawn, and it's not that far off of Mike Tyson biting the dude's ears at Evander Holyfield, mm. biting his ear, uh, and similar Will Smith smacking Chris Rock across the face. It was just so unexpected and uncalled for, and I think we're all kind of coming to terms with with, with it. Firstly, mm. uh, Jason, what's your connection with, with uh, Will Smith's slash Fresh Prince? I used to watch the Fresh Prince after school. Like all the time. Did you grow up listening to to uh, getting jiggy with it? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, if we're talking about his earlier, um, edgier records. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, not only just you know watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air all the time, getting jiggy with it was like an absolute banger for me. I loved that song, especially because it was um, <laughs> the actual song itself was obviously a remake. He remixed a version of. He's just the greatest dancer that um, mm. song. Yeah, so oh, that man. was my parents. Uh, my parents used to listen to that all the time. So for me, it was like this sort of like meeting of two worlds, you know, my modern world and um, my parents sort of like all the disco um, funk kind of era. So yeah, that, I, I used to love that song actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's an incredibly well. likable character. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, like, likable, yeah. human, likable character. The Fresh Prince, everything about that show just... They just nailed it, you know. They they did all kinds of like heavy topics as well. Yeah, I can't think of one episode where you're like, no, they 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 cooked it, you know. They really did. So, how about you, so What's your Fresh Prince and Will Smith connection? I think, like a lot of us, I grew up watching it. It was like a staple in the household. Growing up, like every kind of weeknight evening, memorizing the theme song. Used to know that, or like even to go like deeper, memorizing like the handshake. 
that the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff had in the yeah. show. Me and my best friend Sarah had that down. Unreal. But, yeah, I feel like it's just always been there. When COVID first hit and the Fresh Prince came onto streaming, I went through, like, a deep dive oh, of rewatching yeah. it from the beginning. Mm. And, yeah, it's like the, the way it kind of balanced comedy – and family drama was really mm. interesting to me. Um, mm. I haven't touched the remake yet. Um, mm. Well, sorry, the reboot. <laughs> um, I, I do have a friend who's actually in the cast, but what? I should probably get. I should get onto that. But I hear that it's it's you know it's quite good as it stands as its own. Right. Okay. As its own thing. But yeah, it's cool. It's generational, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of lockdown, when the lockdown began. And family, I noticed Will Smith, I saw the Will Smith kind of live blog to talk about, hey, we're in, you know, the Smith compound, we're at Shea Smith. The way he was speaking, I was just thinking, dude, go hang out with your kids. You don't need to be present for us, the fans. Like, you mm. don't need to be presenting this to the world. There was something really off about it. And I say that too from a place of compassion, just seeing how much fame can gnarl you and alter your world perspective. Mm. And everything we've seen in the last year and a half with, you know, Jada being quite open about this, you know, this open marriage and everything and will perhaps, you know, again, this is a parasocial relationship. I don't know these people, but looking at them and seeing what they've been going through and it all really built up to this moment where he's like, I fucking had enough, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. Um, and I'm just, oh, it just shows how yuck fame is and, and how, how much it can just slowly warp you and warp everything around you. Like even seeing him at the Vanity Fair party afterwards, this big fake smile on his face and going I just thought I, there, there's no one in the world nearly I would rather not be right now than Will Smith mm. having to just do the dance and do this fake smile and and trying to work out why he just did that thing he did. Yeah. Um, where were you guys when you found out or you heard about it? Like how did you feel? Because I found it through a WhatsApp chat where it said, is this real? And I watched it once and I said, that is fucking real. I was just at home because it was our day off. So <laughs> I was just sort of recovering from the week that was because obviously that was uh, after our opening night. Yeah, wow, it wasn't that long ago, actually. Um, yeah, so I was I was just at home and I saw uh, my, my partner told me she was like, oh, there's this thing that's happened at the, <laughs> at the Oscars. And I was like, oh, OK, well, it's the Oscars. So there's always something that's going on. I didn't realize it was going to be something like that, though. Yeah. And then I watched it and I thought and everyone was obviously saying, you know, oh, it's fake. It's fake. Didn't look fake to me. Didn't look fake to me. Looked very real, actually. Yeah, so like you were saying, it's very affecting. I think fame can do that. You know, it's a bit of like a um, this this un, unruly beast that can sort of consume you um, if you're not careful. And yeah, that's what it kind of looked like. It looked like a good man who broke. So you've got an interesting perspective on this too. From uh, you, I mean, I was sleeping when this happened. Hmm. It was like the one moment in the day where I'm like, I'm going to take a quick nap. And then I woke up and the world was burning. You know what <laughs> I mean? I was like, what is going on? What is going on? Shouldn't have slept. Um, but no, I do I do feel, I know, I know. It's severely slept at the moment by me. Yeah. By me. But, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was saying to Mikey yesterday, I feel like if anyone listening hasn't read Will Smith's book called Will, I would highly recommend it. It's such a good read. But in it, he kind of talks about all the struggles he had growing up and kind of like offers a bit of an insight into how his brain works and I guess how his personality's developed. And he talks about, you know, being a child. And he's talked about this in multiple interviews as well, um, you know, witnessing his witnessing domestic violence against his mother mm. by his father, mm. not being able to do anything, feeling 
like a bit of a coward because he never mm. stood up to his dad. Yeah. And because of all the hectic stuff that was going on at home, that's kind of why he lent into being the funny guy, into being the class clown because it's a way of balancing. So when I saw this happen, um, having just being aware and tuned in of like how much his marriage and life has become kind of memefied uh, in the last year yeah, and a half, yeah. watching him snap like that, I was just like, this isn't really a slap against Chris Rock. It's no. it's like a culmination of, history, of all these things. And I'm like, is that a pure moment of dissociation? Because no sane human, I think, would risk such a monumental moment for their own career, would be that insensitive to mar a whole experience for the nominees in that category. I mean, like, if we look at it, that the, the Questlove documentary that won that award... Mm. No one's talking about that, yeah. and they should do because it's a fucking mm. sick documentary yeah. and it's so monumental for those winners, but no one's talking about it, you know? Mm. So mm. I feel like you would have to be out of your sane mind mm. to, do, to do something yeah. like that, and I feel like that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's a very multi-layered, multifaceted situation. So, like, that's why I sort of just went... Yeah, I totally. Just, I don't think it take was... A, take a backseat here because, like, mm. there's a lot of things, so yeah, many things. for real. Kids, kids on the playground as well have been. Uh, I just read a friend of mine on Twitter saying, "I'm going to Will Smith you." So that's how quickly it's become a thing. God. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just like <laughs> this hero has, in a moment of weakness, in front of everybody, chosen violence, and we always, you know, even like choose violence. That's a meme. That's a freaking saying. But he's done that, and the re- repercussions. Like he's going to be forever known for it now. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm DJing a '90s brunch tomorrow, like I do every Saturday, and I, I play Fresh Prince nearly every week. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow when I play it. It's going to be some laughs, it's going to be some sniggering, but yeah. at the same time, it's going to be a bit orcsy, um, yeah, bit orcs yeah. cable. Uh, I've been bottled off stage when I was uh, hosting a um, thing for a band called Stain. I've mentioned this on the podcast Jeez. before. S T A I N comma D. Jabber did it the night before, and I didn't realize that he also got like booed and kind of heckled. And I did it, and like they called me the F word for homosexual and like, all kinds of stuff. And literally, as I got off stage, like bottles, Carlton draft whizzing past me. Some of them were half full. Not Carlton draft. <laughs> No, Not Carlton half, Ruff, half full, bloody Terry tip outs. <laughs> it was a full-on moment and I was shook. And uh, luckily the band gave me lots of weed after they had heaps of weed. But it was yuck. It was a, it was a really gnarly thing to go through. I've said yuck and gnarly twice now. Jason, you being a, a stage actor and obviously um, incredible rapper and singer, etc., you would have had a moment or two on stage where uh, shit's gone down? Actually, no. Um, we haven't had not nothing like that. Like, um, I've never like. I was going to say you've never been bottled off stage at Hamilton before. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not that kind of show. Um, you know, be, all the all the drinks yeah, have to yeah, be in yeah. plastic bottles, uh, plastic glasses. But um, no, I've never. Um, I've never <laughs> felt in peril or like I've felt like unsafe. I don't think anyone on stage has felt unsafe uh, from like the audience doing anything like that. Mm. Um, but even pre Hamilton, pre Hamilton, no, actually, and that's saying something because Perth. She can go off sometimes. So, like, uh, Perth is a bit hectic. I haven't really ever felt like <laughs> I've been in danger, per se. The worst thing that we mm. get is phones, like, in the theatre. That's it. Mm. People recording stuff and, like, you know, talking and ringing well, phones can, and Apple be, Watches. and That would be one of the biggest challenges, I would assume, like, dealing with such a live arena. Like, there's a mm. sense of unpredictability yeah. about what can be 
in not infecting but like affecting your mm-hmm. space as mm-hmm. a performer and doing it night after night after night that's the one variable you can't really control absolutely is people recording people trying to be on the download like sneaking photos or whatnot mm-hmm. that's a challenge the vast majority of people are pretty respectful amy schumer said she felt triggered and traumatized uh about it comedians really have rallied around chris rock chris rock's sales have gone through the roof which is awesome <laughs> <laughs> melbourne international comedy festival has just started uh, sydney festival sydney comedy festival is coming up as well so a lot of comedians are feeling like will this kind of thing happen to me and Honestly, in a, in a small room mm. for a show that goes for an hour, because the shows generally Good. go for about an hour, which is too fucking long, just about every time. You know, there's going to be some tense moments where I've seen all kinds of stuff go on. You know, I, I saw a Becky Lucas show two years ago where literally this this couple were having a fight. They came in late, and she's like, "Oh, you guys are in a good mood." And the girl <laughs> just goes, "Do you show you stupid fucking bitch?" <laughs> and Jesus. straight away, the tech just went, "All right, both of you out." yeah like literally they haven't like with five minutes into the show you know all kinds of things that happen in in that sort of live arena um i really hope that it doesn't have a terrible domino effect um but you're gonna see how i don't think it you know what honestly i don't think it will this wouldn't have happened if it was between two people who weren't millionaires to be completely honest Mm. fragile egos if this happened in any other scenario he would be in handcuffs he would be getting sued right now. Like yeah, it's rich on yeah. rich crime. That's what I like to call it. Yep. Like they're both way too rich to let this go on. Yep. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's it's just unfortunate that now there's footage out there. Mm. Yeah, that's and the lots worst of part. It. Lots of you it. You know, like it's documented. Mm. Uh, lots yeah. of it. I think too, just to circle back, you said so, so that Will Smith bled on someone who didn't cut him. Which is a real, yeah. it's a real takeaway here. You know? Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So, so it's unfortunate the whole way around. Yeah. Mm. So we wish everyone well. <laughs> you poor millionaires. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Didn't. <laughs> In just a moment, so is going to talk about Foo Fighters who have cancelled all their remaining dates after unfortunate death of the unfortunate death of our friend Taylor Hawkins. But first, a little bit of music. Hey, listeners, you're very, very lovely. Keep up the listening. Love your ears. Mm. Just tongue down listeners' ears. They loved it. Yeah. They loved it. Yeah. So this is looking very (laughs) unsure. Look, let's get into it. So Foo Fighters, I think a lot of rock music fans in general were reeling, what, just over a week ago, the passing of Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins just came out of left field. I think even even if you're not a diehard Foo Fighters fan, it's just a it was a real surreal moment. Passed away while on tour in Colombia. Some was I think he was saying that he had heart failure. There's been reports about different substances being in his system at the time. I'm not going to spend too much time on that though because I think it's kind of neither here nor just, there. Just kind of making Very, you know, core of it is that it was obviously a devastating loss to the band and to to millions of fans around the world. And I think it was. Like, I think I'm surprised by how much I was actually affected by it. Mm-hmm. Not that I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I was upset over it, but I was just like, damn, that happened. Like, it really doesn't discriminate. And I know that's mm-hmm. that's such a simplistic thought, but I feel like maybe the fact that, you know, the Foo Fighters were only here weeks ago, they did that massive show in Geelong. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone buzzing about it. felt like such a such a unifying moment for music fans here. And then it was like... 
they're going on tour and they're going to come back to Australia and it's going to be massive and yeah. they're going to tour this massive stadium show that everyone knows and loves and then it's like, like that, it just gets snuffed and I'm like, that is so bizarre. Yeah. And also it's rare that it happens that we've had a musician pass who's in such a well-known and beloved band who mm. is currently, you know, still currently doing their doing thing that, as yeah. opposed to an artist who was the band wasn't doing as much anymore. Like this still feels very like at the forefront of people's minds. Yeah. Obviously and unsurprisingly, the rest of the year for the Foo Fighters is cancelled. They were supposed to appear at the Grammys, which at the time of this potty going live would have just happened over the weekend. Mm. The Australian tour, the world, you know, all their other international dates have been cancelled so they can grieve. Um, They released a statement last week. It is with great sadness that the Foo Fighters confirmed the cancellation of all upcoming tour dates in light of the staggering loss of our brother Taylor Hawkins. We're sorry for and sharing the disappointment that we won't be seeing each other as planned. Instead, let's take this time to grieve, to heal, to pull our loved ones close and to appreciate all the music and memories we've made together. So yeah, obviously heavy times. I can't imagine what Dave Grohl is going through. I feel like so much of his stardom is attached to some real tragedy which is really fucked up obviously his relationship with Kurt Cobain the loss of Kurt Cobain and now the loss of such a significant person and musical collaborator so to have that happen twice is like it's super unfortunate has there been thinking about our experiences as fans of music or as fans of the arts in general was there a death of a musician or actor who like kind of really knocked you for six unexpectedly? Yeah, actually. Um, when I was growing up, I was a huge fan of Michael Jackson, massive fan. That's mm. basically what I modeled my entire vocal ability around. Uh, MJ and um, yeah, and Stevie Wonder. Like that was that was it. Um, so can you give yeah, us a little MJ? MJ past- can you give us a little MJ? For MJ, <laughs> MJ in the morning. I don't know. Hey, that's a good title, actually. MJ in the morning. Um, I don't know if I can this early. Oh, let me let me do a quick warm up. <laughs> I'll, I'll be able to. <laughs> when he passed, uh, I was so looking forward to seeing again that tour. I was so looking forward to seeing this is it because I hadn't. My parents saw him when he came and did the history tour in the nineties when he was in Perth. And I didn't get to go to that because I was too young at the time. And they were like, hey, the next time that it happens, you can absolutely go. So the next time that it happened was this is it. I was looking for, absolutely looking forward to going um, and seeing him do his thing live on stage and then passed away. Okay. Um, so that hit me pretty pretty hard. Not like, yeah, um, yeah I just, I didn't, you know, I thought there was still going to be that one last, that one last time you know sorry to quote Hamilton there but you know that one last hurrah that we could all sort of celebrate (laughs) the music yeah was taken away too soon Mm. it's it's odd when you say too soon I had a very as soon as Michael Jackson died I thought this guy's in a better place than he currently was he was going to sleep for for 50 hours 60 hours you know he's just saying doc put me out you know what I mean like he was not in a good headspace, he's he pretty much he's pretty much done with this world because of everything mm. around him, the rumors, the allegations. Which let's not get into that. But I just straight away thought this is a person who doesn't really want to be here anymore. You know, it's a fame um, thing it's, again. It's, uh, it's not even a cold way of thinking about it. I think it's just a very kind of pragmatic way of thinking about it. But he gave us so much, so much incredible music. Like I put on yeah. some a deep. I DJ Smooth Criminal recently at the ESPY in the middle of a set. It was like a housey techno set, and people just lost their minds. It was 
yeah, still uh, hits hard. Um, when Jeff Buckley passed, I was a first year uni and I was really into Jeff Buckley and it was just like, I remember I was going out with friends that night. I was like, I didn't go out with them. I was like, guys, I'm not in the mood anymore. And I spoke to a few friends on the phone, you know, because especially the way, the most poetic, romantic death, you know, to, to be going out into the, into the, uh, into a river and then get swept away. And it last, the last lyrics on, uh, Grace on, on that, on his debut record, you know, um, with the ocean washing over, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's too oh, much, yeah. it's too much. Like it really is. And he, he certainly, he had a lot of life left to live. He was working on that second yeah. record with Chris, which Chris Cornell ended up producing My Sweetheart the Drunk. It's called, uh, so pretty close to that. Um, the Cornell thing really got me too, because I mean, his was, he got overprescribed certain medicines and he was not thinking straight when he took his own life. Uh, and he was again, like to, to your point, so to you, he was touring, you know, I think, What's interesting, yeah. and like Mike Patton from Faith No More right now is not in a good headspace. He's cancelled all the Faith No More tours. The Faith No More machine was all ready to, to roar into life, which would keep 60, 70 people employed for a couple of years. And he's just, because of the lockdown, he just is in a really bad sort of depressed, anxious headspace. I think, and this is interesting for, for you, Jace, to do those same songs mm. every, night after night. I mean, I saw an interview with you on uh, uh, ABC Breakfast about... God, it was about a year ago and you're already up to 100 performances mm. of the show. So how how deep yeah. into it are you now and how do you manage to bring the magic each night despite the fact that maybe you've had a, a fight with your girlfriend or whatever else? <laughs> um, no, it's... Uh, yeah, I think reps is actually a really good thing past a certain point. So when we were doing 100 shows, I th- I f- like when we were up to 100 shows, I was at the point where it was sort of feel... I was like, oh, I don't... I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> like I sort of <laughs> ran out. I, my mind sort of like was felt like it was running dry. And then it just naturally got to a point midway through that, maybe closer to 200 where my mind just started flicking into a new way of thinking about everything. And it just opened a whole new door of offers. And since then I have not felt like a creative uh, wall come up at all. Um, if anything, if anything, I've just lent more into the music of it and like finding different ways to hit different rhymes because there's so many lines in the show that have internal rhyme schemes that I that I hadn't even noticed before that don't actually that, that aren't actually hit on a massive downbeat that you go oh yeah that's the rhyme that you can hit and then also do the massive downbeat rhyme. And it's like, you've got this double rhyme thing. You got two for the price of one. It's like any examples, Jason. Oh, okay. Here we go. Like, um, Madison, your mad as a had a son, take your medicine. Right. Mm. Obviously the sons mm. are the ones that are the things that you would lean on because they're all on the, on the massive beat. Right. But there's Madison, your mad as a had a mm. son, Ma- madder, had a, like matter hatter, like that little little moment there, like just leaning into those sort of phrases and little things like that, or like you know, slightly pushing the um the start of the the lyric a little earlier, you know, like just earlier on the beat, like the bar before, just a little bit, which I'm not actually allowed to do, but <laughs> sometimes you know it'll come Sneaky. out. Hey, musicality, it takes you, it takes you. So mm-hmm. what can I say? Yeah, just little things. Hundred seventy-seven words a minute. I'm, I'm hearing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's pretty crazy it's just a matter of not thinking about it so the less you think about it the better it is <laughs> yeah it's a muscle memory very cool yeah um i think just to bring it back to you know this this idea of what happens when your fave passes what happens when it when it happens so quickly you know i've been thinking a lot about how 
artists have been able to recover from things like this, especially it's got to be so hard when it's all happening so publicly. You know, I've been seeing like really gross articles by, you know, tabloid hounds like TMZ, like taking photos of the band coming back to LA, taking photos mm. of Taylor's casket landing back in Los Angeles. Like, it's, it's disgusting. But what do we think the future is for a group this level? You know, we've seen bands like Queen, the Rolling Stones are going through it at the moment. They're pushing forward, but it won't really like that. That that mm. unique sense of magic and that dynamic is never mm. going to be yeah. back. Mm. Um, maybe it's okay if they take an extended break. Mm. Totally, know? I think yeah, extended break minimum. I mean, you just to see the Foo Fighters without that big goofy smile and that blonde yeah. hair flailing, you know, at the back, it's it's not going to be the same. It will never be mm, the same. Mm. And uh, there's a part of me which is, just thinks, let it go. Like a, a band that like that, just if, if it was sort of a side a side member or something, but he's just you know, so intrinsically them. I mean, yeah, it's hard. Like whatever the Foo Fighters decide to do, it's it's their prerogative and, you know, we support mm, that. Mm. But let's – it'll never be the same. Um, yeah, well, I think we will see um, a heroic return from the Foo Fighters in about – six to 12 months yeah just give yeah. it some time they need to take, take some downtown for sure exactly hey so see yeah. in a second we're talking to a guy called jason arrow gonna go deep oh i hear he's a legend I feel you <laughs> bit of music <laughs> hey friends if you want to uh if you want to subscribe to this show why wouldn't you you get the bonus episodes early you get a uh, little kiss in the, in the ear. It's a bit of a theme of the day. There you go. And, uh, yeah, you basically you become one of our best friends. So we take you out to dinner and we do body shots. That's um, all true. Jesus. Check out other podcasts from Mushroom. Some of my best work with Jane Rocker, 180 grams with me or one guitar. Just search for Mushroom Studios in your podcast app. Jason Arrow, he has arrived in Melbourne. People are... Frothing, people are going wild. There's a lot of Hamilton okay, stands out there. Shit for you. The stars, oh, goodness. The star of Hamilton. Um, little check in for you. What's the? F- Actually, I'm going to jump into the, the bonus episode. Incorrect. Uh, <laughs> t- tell it. T- t- tell us a bit about how, how you knew. How you knew that you had something. You know that you had this talent that you could uh, appear on stage and, and, and rock it. I think again, this is. Uh, an MJ related thing. I, um, when I was younger, I used to do like, uh, on new years, I used to do like performances for my family. Um, so my whole like extended family would come and we would like, you know, have a party and they'd be going nuts and like living life. And I would like, get to a point in the evening where they would be like, Oh, do a thing, do a thing. Um, and so I would do like certain MJ, numbers like so for example i did like billy jean one year where i like did the moonwalk and stuff and like i always used to like to like um performing so like that was always a part of me um and i used to do like lots of different sports and things like that and i never really found one that clicked and so i think music mm-hmm. and performing ended up being my sport mm. so to Good say quote. um yeah, it, that, yeah that's that was what i that was what took me. That was my, that was my thing. That was my after school activity because it was something that I could 
really sink my teeth into and really become involved in. And again, it's really physical. It is real physical. If you've seen Hamilton, you know what I'm talking about. It's a very physical thing yeah. as well. So it's it's great on all levels. And my parents always um, supported that. So I think it was just the small little seed that started really young. And then it just went and blew up when I got older. And I just couldn't stay away from it. I was reading that you trained at WAPA. Uh, for people out there who don't know, that's the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. I don't know if it's a smaller town thing because I did high school up in Darwin and a lot of uh, I did dance and performance when I was up there and so many people who I went through uh, my dance classes with all ended up going to Whopper. It was like they all went west and I feel like it's kind of up there at the same level as like your nighters or even, you know, some of the academies in Melbourne in terms of the the performers who come out of that academy and just go on to do fucking huge things. Um, I know that there's quite a few Hamilton cast members who are WAPA alums. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what that environment was like to, to sort of have those passions and skills nurtured in and, and and what that sort of taught you about the way that you wanted to approach performing. Because I feel like it's it's such an interesting environment. Yeah, I think it, it takes the benefit of that Perth is so far away from everything and just amplifies it. Because it's so self-contained. We don't have any contact with the East Coast at all. So we go in, they don't know about us for three years, and then we come out and they see the finished product in quotes so it's it's i think that that being away from people and being in this hub of art essentially really helps um exacerbate all forms of passion and drive and skill because we're not only in uh in an environment with other actors or other dancers we're in an environment with actors stage managers musicians people who are on doing music production composers orchestras Classical music, like there's so many different things in that one building that I don't even know sometimes how that building is still standing because there's that many people in it doing stuff. There's set design, there's so much creativity <laughs> and it all comes together in musicals as well. So when we do a musical, we do a mid-year musical. The set's built by the set builders. The stage management's done by the stage management. Cool. The stage management. All the, obviously on stage is done by the music theater students. Costume design is by the costume part department. Like every single department has a piece in this. The orchestra, all from from Whopper. So we have this this moment of like togetherness. It's not just about the music theater students. It's about everybody. And I think that being in that environment and being in like share houses with those people too, it really improves your skill like exponentially really quickly. We've also seen your career kind of diversify in terms of roles. I mean, prior to Hamilton, I think I can use the word gigging as a as a musical yeah. theatre performer. To use yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You know, road, you were road dog in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you were doing your thing. <laughs> when did the move from the west to the east happen? And did you feel like you'd kind of been like plucked out of being so far away from everything yeah. else like how did you how did you deal mentally with all of a sudden being like all right I'm on the east coast in mm. a pool of actors and performers that is I would assume a lot bigger maybe p- potentially yeah. a lot more competitive like what was that like for you initially I think when you 
grow up in WA and you're like, hey, I'm going to be an artist. There's an intrinsic knowledge of every single person who wants to do that as a career that you will not be living in WA. You just know. You just know there's no yeah. way that you can possibly do that and live in WA. Um, it's getting better. It is getting better slowly. But th there's no way if you want it to be your bread and butter, it's just not going to happen on the West Coast. So, you know, OK, I'm going to do this. It means I'm going to leave. So I guess I never really had a yeah. point where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm struggling to come to terms with having to leave WA. I knew it was going to happen for years. Sure. Um, so it was a slow progression over time, sort of got used to the idea. In terms of like mm -hmm. going from doing ensemble stuff in um, the professional scene and then to doing Hamilton in Hamilton. Yeah, that was that that one was a big jump because I wasn't really ready for that at all in the slightest. When I was auditioning for the show, I was just like, oh, you know, I'll um I'll go for ensemble again. I'll I'll cover it maybe, you know, I'll cover Hamilton and Burr, that will be cool. I was just staying in my lane, you know. <laughs> I was just doing what I was like, yeah. okay, that's what I've done before. I'll, I'll do it again and, you know, later on, maybe a couple of years down the track, I can I can I can be the lead maybe. You know, um I just set up managing expectations and those expectations were completely mismanaged by me because it was exponentially greater than I thought that it was going to be. Slept a lot on, bigger you, than you slept on yourself is what you're saying. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did. Absolutely. But hey, sometimes that's a good thing. I think that in that instance, it was, yeah. a, it was a good thing, you know, especially, you know, with COVID and that at the time, I was just being realistic. Sure. You know, I was I, like, you know, the show, I was like, yeah. the show might not even happen. So like, I was just being realistic. True. Tell us about the butterflies. The first times, first couple of times you got up playing Alexander Hamilton, as you know, made famous by Lin Manuel himself. Those just all engulfing butterflies. Yeah, I I'm not one to usually get nervous. I'll be honest, but that first preview, yeah, I was absolutely nervous. I haven't I haven't been that nervous in a very long time, actually. Um, because I mean, as as you were saying before, you know, gigging and that, I was used to being up in front of audiences doing full three-hour sets every weekend for years um, on top of doing mm. um, amateur theater for years in front of like, you know, 2000 plus obviously the, um, the, the notoriety and, you know, the, the, the weight of the show is greater um, when it's, you know, Hamilton sure. first time done in Australia and you're playing Alexander Hamilton, who was made famous by the guy who wrote it, you know, like <laughs> there was a lot of things on top of that, that I went, okay, well, yeah, if I'm, if I'm going to be nervous, this is the time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I just lent into yeah. it, to be honest. Um, he's young, scrappy, and hungry and had something to prove. So True. I guess that's exactly what I had Straight to do. Too, so. how, how did you not be that. nervous like in, in the past? What, what, what do you think happened in your youth to make you go nerve schmerbs? Um, it's going to happen whether you like it or not. The show is going to happen. Yeah. You can either, you can either, you can, well, you've got two options. You can leave the stage or you can stay on the stage. Mm -hmm. That's it. So I was like, well, those are my two options. <laughs> hey, um, those are my two options, really. Um, and I lent more into the fact that I was like, well, the trains left the station. So I got to be on board. Um, and that's kind of how my nerves get managed, I think. And it, it's a really good way of dispelling nerves if anyone has nerve, you know anxiety issues and i tend to just lean more into that and that seems to help a lot i agree i think uh once you get reminded and you know, one of the podcasts so one of the um meditations i listened to in lockdown jason was this guy saying Ang anxiety doesn't exist anxiety is nothing and it's so true it's mm. like it's only in your head i know it's easier said than done sometimes but just that little reminder oh, absolutely you just go 
yeah, this is this is fine. I'll I'll be okay. <laughs> Push on. Yeah, through. absolutely. Um, and I think like mental health wise as well. Like I've, I mean, I've not been shy about saying it. Like I, I've had my own battles with mental health when I was younger. So that I think alone puts things into perspective. I'm like, I go, well, I'm not, I'm not there anymore. So like, and that was 20 times worse. Yeah. So I can handle this. So I think that perspective as well helps to put a distance between what, what actually is and what actually could be. Yeah. So straight up didn't kill you. made you stronger. Just to keep reminding ourselves mm. too. Even the fact that we've just been through a freaking pandemic and we've all got through it. We've all pulled through it. Like, Exactly. What else can the world throw us, really? Ukraine, China, Russia. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so take it back to last Thursday. I'm sitting in Her Majesty's Theatre. I'm going into Hamilton blind. I'm going in raw. You know what I mean? I'm just like, all right, I'm I'm in. I can feel the energy in the theatre. I'm like, let's do it. By the time the intermission comes, I'm not going to front. I was exhausted, <laughs> so I can't imagine what you guys were going through. Because I'm like, they are, they are singing, they are dancing, they're acting their asses off. There's fucking like furniture choreography happening, and no one was missing <laughs> yeah. a beat. When you're dealing with a musical or just with a production where the density is at that level, I don't know, man. It's like, like you were saying before, you have to really connect with another plane of thinking about language and thinking about how that's like affecting your body. And if, you know, it's, it's kind of like all the elements have to be in the right place to be able to pull that off. What have you learned about yourself in the way that your, your body moves as a performer in the way that you, you kind of relate to your scene partners, bearing in mind that, you know, you might not be working with the same cast members night after night, you know, there could be understudies, there could be, you know, standbys, like how, how has this experience sort of informed you as a, just as a reactive person? I love adapting. That's, that's what I think I've learned. I think I've always known that I like, I like a, a challenge, but that statement, I like a challenge, didn't seem to be accurate enough to what I was experiencing and like doing on stage. Adapting would be it. Because yeah. I'll have uh, JJ yeah. go on for um, for Burr, who is very different to Lyndon, firstly as a person. Secondly, they just they yeah. approach the role differently. I cannot in any good conscience go and approach that the same way that I approach it when I'm doing the show with Lyndon. Can't because it would just it sure. would just won't read. We won't we won't be meeting each other. There won't be any magic, you know, that it'll just it'll just fall flat in its face. I'll be like, it'd be like he's talking to a wall and like I'm talking to a wall. And so adapting to that and understanding (laughs) that it's like, okay, cool. We're on this journey together. We're creating something different to what, you know, uh, we're we're used to doing night to night. That's what I like to do. I like to adapt. Um, And that can come in many forms. Like, for example, let's say the turntable stops working. Then that's another adaption. Yeah. Or someone's phone (laughs) rings in the audience. That's another adaption. Like... Lots of different things. When is it nearly all sort of gone off track and you've had to, you know, write the ship? Oh, yeah. No, well, the turntable has uh, not worked uh, once or twice, actually. Literally once or twice. It's actually been a very good piece of uh, machinery, Touchwood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been very, very good. But, um, there's yeah, there's, there was a moment <laughs> early so, on. In, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> very much. Um, there was a time early on in early previews when we were still getting the sound stuff together and... Um, 
So the start of Satisfied, um, where she, uh, she goes, uh, we satisfied, rewind, and then it does the that cool sort of audio moment where it's like, rewind, rewind, and like everyone starts going back in time and like there's this cool like sound effect thing. So that's like a tracked moment. So someone will trigger it in the pit on a pad, but I think it's the drummer actually or the percussionist, one of those two, and they'll trigger it on a pad and it will play. Um, and so obviously during that moment, the band doesn't play because it's all sound engineered um, beautifully as well. And one night it did, it, they triggered it and it didn't play. So <laughs> Ableton let us down. Ableton <laughs> let us down. Um, so they, they triggered it. Nothing happened. And we were just <laughs> on stage in dead silence. All you could hear is the turntable moving slowly around, around, around. Oh, and no. we were hacking ourselves. <laughs> We were so, we were losing it. It was so funny. Um, obviously, it wasn't obvious that we were laughing, but if you've done stage stuff, you'll know we were laughing. You could see the shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> but, shoulders you know, that's theatre. That's theatre. That's great. It always happens. Live stuff like that always happens, but you love it. That's the re- Adapting. Again, we adapted. We made it happen. We didn't miss a beat again, and we picked it up, so it was fine. Hamilton in Australia has made such an impact for a number of reasons. Obviously, the the legacy of the show and the reputation of the show has long preceded it. The cast is incredible, can go toe-to-toe with the Americans. But also, you've managed to come back after, you know, experiencing, you know, a pandemic on the levels that no one could have expected with the, you know, with how it affected the Sydney run. How did being going from like, yes, we're on stage to all of a sudden being locked down with no forecast of coming back, how did that affect cast morale and how are you all feeling now that you're in your new home in Melbourne? Oh, well, to start off first, we were feeling amazing being here. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. The show hits differently. There we go. It hits differently in, um, in Melbourne. It definitely does, especially in that theatre it's a really small theater. Um, we have a lot of connection with the audience and you can really feel there's like palpable energy in the room that you can, that you can feel around you. Uh, we don't have to, uh, push as much to reach, uh, the backs of the theater. Um, and obviously I, I loved, I love the lyric. I'm just basically saying the differences between the two theaters. Um, the lyric had its benefits, um, as well, even like acoustically, it's a new building. So it's designed differently. Uh, but yeah, being at the Madge is just, it's, created this more um theatrical experience for the show so we're absolutely loving that in terms of last year um and the lockdown happening i think we kind of all saw it coming at the start of um right hand man when we're all looking out into the into the harbor and we're seeing the ships on the shoreline i think we kind of saw that coming and that was covid you know like we were like it's gonna we knew it was it was gonna happen at some point you know it was the case numbers were going up and the restrictions were going down so it was obvious that it was just gonna blow up um in terms of morale hey i mean rest was a good thing for us so that was a positive way to look at it we were at our, our at our tether in terms of um energy at that point because we we're still trying to get used to the show so we uh, around about the three four month mark you kind of get to a point where you're like okay this is how i can do the show and we were sl- we were just getting to that point um, and we had just found that point and then obviously the lockdown hit. Um, so, I mean, the rest was also welcome. Um, in terms of morale though, yeah, we bounced back. We're fine. Yeah, we're fine. We were, we were fine. I mean, we just talked, we kept together. We you got um, this. kept talking. Exactly. Yeah. We just kept talking. It was a lot of Zooms. It was a lot of this, it was a lot of Zooms. Um, and that helped a lot actually. Yeah. So 
resilient. The industry is resilient and the people in it are resilient. So. It's staggering what people can do and just how much we can just pick ourselves up from the canvas again and again and again. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the, all the arts funding. Actually, the, the federal government won't get back in, so uh, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Eat a dick. There's no way. There's no <laughs> That's way. right. That's right. <laughs> hey, Jason, thanks for joining us, my friend. Uh, and so as always, yeah, thank being you. a baller. Do you want to stick around for a bonus episode where we talk about music that hit different for you, even though you mentioned hit different more than any other guest that we've ever had on the show? Just been slipping it in there. Which <laughs> we're going to appreciate. Yes. It's a switched on guest. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, spread the word about hit different. Thank you very, 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 very much. Thank you, Y-E-W-W-W-W. Thank Thanks, everybody. All right. See you next week. <laughs>